Are you looking to reach your full potential and achieve success in business and in life? Want only tried and tested guidance from people who have truly made an impact? You have come to the right place. Welcome to Five Questions with Dan Shabell. New York Times bestselling author Dan Shabell distills the most actionable and tangible advice from a variety of world-class humans, including entrepreneurs, authors, Olympians, politicians, billionaires, Nobel Prize winners, TED speakers, celebrities, astronauts, and more. Inspirational guidance, practical advice, and concrete solutions. Our Power Chat starts now. Welcome to the 41st episode of Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. As your host, my goal is to curate the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is singer, songwriter, musician, and author Amanda Palmer. Born in New York City, Amanda grew up in Lexington, Massachusetts, where she went to high school and was involved in the drama department. While attending Wesleyan University, she staged performances based on work by legendary Pink Dots before forming the Shadowbox Collective, which was devoted to street theater. In 2000, at a Halloween party, Amanda met drummer Brian Viglione and formed the Dresden Dolls, eventually releasing their debut album two years later. In 2008, she established her solo career with her solo album, Who Killed Amanda Palmer? She was first brought to my attention after my friend and mentor, David Meerman Scott, blogged about how she was able to raise over a million dollars on the crowdsourcing platform Kickstarter to fund her next album. In 2014, Amanda released her memoir, The Art of Asking, which was based on her TED Talk a year earlier that has now amassed nearly 11 million views. She recently released her first album in more than six years, called There Will Be No Intermission. In this uncensored episode, yes, that means they're swearing, Amanda gets raw about her art, relationships, and life experiences. How is creating art like therapy to help you handle pain, tragedy, and failure? You know, I think we forget as human beings how, you know, why we started making art and music in the first place way, way back in the day. It was never about making a commodity to sell to one another. It was about helping each other feel less alone and navigating the confusion of pain. Art is really, really, really good at that. You know, the more trials and tribulations I go through in my own life and and then being able to make art out of them and show it to others and then seeing people feel the recognition you know the recognition and the mutual experiences and the confusions that you go through when you've got grief and illness and miscarriages and abortions and the mess of life I mean I think that that's what art is really really the best at if you know, if we use it medicinally, it can be more powerful than certain medicines. What is the balance between connecting with fans, family and friends online versus offline? I think the most important thing about the like so-called work-life balance or the work-life art-children balance or whatever it is that you're trying to juggle is that there is no such fucking thing as a right balance. It's just you're never going to hit it. And you have to just accept that that you are in a a circus of your own devising and that you're never really going to get it right on any given day. You know, and if you're lucky, you'll get it 95% right. And you should even count yourself lucky if you get it 70% right. And I feel like one of the keys to life is not looking back on any given day or week or month or year or project or child and living in remorse and regret that you should have done this and you should have done 
that you should have spent more time and you should have you know edited more done more uh, more like I just think that living in regret is a waste of time I think it's better to just live with full acknowledgement that you're never going to get any balance right ever not in any relationship not in parenting not in art not in business strive for perfection knowing you're never actually going to hit the mark and don't be sad and don't be sad when the mark is never hit. You're known for self-funding your music through crowdsourcing. How do you get people to invest in you, your art and your message? Well, I think people like investing in my art and my message and my community because I'm really honest about what I do and how I do it and I make my community a nice place to be. You know, I've been creating internet spaces and blogging and using social media since the dawn of time and touring the globe endlessly, you know, doing thousands and thousands of shows for people. And, you know, people enjoy my transparency. I, I try to be honest about everything that's happening, even when the news isn't good, even when I'm stumbling, even when you know, I, I'm just sort of looking around feeling really confused. And so my entire life kind of is my artwork. And in a world where everything is sort of commercially perfected and everyone is posting the perfect Instagram photos and, you know, and every everyone out in the music industry is trying to one-up each other with how perfect their lives are. If I'm selling anything, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of selling this kind of honest look into how imperfect a life can be and how okay one woman artist can be with it. I've sort of made that my life's work and my artwork. And to the people who have been joining my communities from, you know, from the dawn of time on the Dresden Dolls blog, which was my my first band up through supporting me on Kickstarter and now supporting me on Patreon where I have 15,000 people funding me and following along the story is, um, you know, it's not a model that would necessarily work for every single artist out there. I do think this kind of model is much more available to many musicians than they realize. How would you encourage someone who has a problem but is afraid of asking for help? We're always afraid of asking because asking fundamentally makes us vulnerable. Anytime you are asking anything of anyone, you're putting yourself at risk because that person or that entity might turn around and reject you and say no. But we all know that if you don't ask for anything, you don't get anything. And, you know, and, and I think the most important thing to work on, whether you're an artist or you're in business or you're just a human being in a relationship, is learning how to ask with grace. I have a passage in my book, in The Art of Asking, about the difference between asking and demanding and asking and begging. And asking can, can be, when you frame it the right way, can be a fundamentally generous act because you, you're allowing you know, this other human being, this other entity to walk into a space of connection and mutual, hopefully mutual need. If you're demanding something of somebody, it's not actually furthering the relationship. And if you're begging, you're also putting that person in a difficult position and, um, and it's not balanced. But asking, if you do it right, asking and, and looking at someone and saying, hey, you know, I don't have any power over you and I don't want to give you any power over me, but we could do this thing together. You have this thing. I need this thing. We never know when the tables are going to be turned or what the karmic future cards hold for us. And I see this so much in the art world because so many audiences really do enjoy the act of helping artists, supporting artists, feeding artists, giving artists supplies with which to work. But artists are so 
ashamed and afraid to ask for those things. And they don't realize that actually like just the act of asking for something and allowing someone to be generous with their own resources can in itself be a gift. And what's your best piece of career advice? My best piece of career advice is to have some kind of practice in your life where you are actively chasing peace and self-knowledge so that even if you do become successful in whatever career you have chosen, you have also carved out time and ability to enjoy your life, your time on earth. And whether that's, you know, a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice or a meditation practice or, you know, a kind of a physical activity like hiking or walking on the beach, anything that takes you away from working and especially internet connectivity and being on your phone just yields such a deep payoff in how your decisions about work and career will fundamentally be made. That if I were running Harvard Business School, I would demand that all of my freshman attendees do like a two-week mindfulness workshop, learn about phones, (laughs) mindfulness, and compassion before they were allowed to enter the world of business. Because why become fucking successful if you're not going to enjoy your life and you're going to make everybody else miserable? That's my question. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Amanda. To follow her journey, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, where she shares her travels, heartfelt advice, political views, and live performances. We hope you enjoyed today's show and the amazing advice our guests provided. Remember that you can only benefit from advice if you act on it. Before you do, we would appreciate your feedback in the form of a review. You can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcatcher of your choice. Your feedback would be very much appreciated. Head over to danshawbell.com slash review now.